Excellent. An ale for me. And for my officers. In fact, ales for everyone. Turn backward. With Rick and Rick and Will and Zemma. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Hello, welcome to another episode of Ten Backwards, the UK-based podcast uh, all about Star Trek. Uh, I'm Rick Everson, and to my right is Gemma Turland. Hello. To her right is Will Turland. Hello. And then, reversing course, background to my left is Rick Palmer. Greetings. Today, we are going to talk about the Prime Directive, General Order Number 1. Um, I thought it's a fairly meaty topic, it'd be quite good. Uh, we also knew it was one we'd get a lot of discussion out of, so we've pre-decided to go back to uh, what we used to do ages ago, where we split episodes across two, three, in one case even four episodes, mm. when we talked about war. I don't think we really planned that. I think we that didn't have it. This time we <laughs> have planned it. Yes. So our prime directive discussion is going to be two parts, unless we do ramble on so much with three. But hopefully two. Uh, so our first part, we're going to talk a bit about breaking the Prime Directive. And, and I'd like to subtitle this one, Don't Worry, Be Happy, based on an old Star Trek parody book I once read, where um, it, it defined the Prime Directive in the original series as Don't Worry, Be Happy, and in the next gen as Put Things Back Where You Found Them. <laughs> so, um, but before we get on to breaking it, I thought we'd just have a little chat about what we think the Prime Directive is, what it means generally, what do we take away from Star Trek as we've watched it as the Prime Directive meaning. Uh, I think it's essentially don't muck about with other cultures' development. Yeah, yeah. I, and in very broad terms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Done. I think it's a. I mean, I I think from a creative point of view, and it's a it's a plot device. Um, and in the universe, I think it's it's sort of an insurance policy against against interference. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I think it's um, it's a it's a rule to stop uh, good intentions. Uh, turning bad and a sort of sort of a short-sighted short-term good intention yeah. having unforeseen consequences and basically sort of saying sometimes uh, situations are really really complicated like more complicated uh, than maybe one starship captain can understand it's, it's like brexit <laughs> maybe one person yeah. can't yeah. just say well let's just do it this way because maybe it's just really complicated. Maybe that one person hasn't got a, a view on how all the possible scenarios mm. are going to play out. So maybe, um, you know, just, just don't, don't, just don't. <laughs> I was, I was um, <coughs> r- rather than touch that uh, that hot potato, I was going to, um, I was going to compare it to sort of say ecosystems and things in the natural world where we blunder and think we're doing one thing but chopping a few trees down. Shit, we've made four species of animals go extinct because we didn't think about the habitats and the effect this was going to have. Yeah. So where we come across a nice look, nice culture, not a chief walk drive yet, don't really think there's alien life. We don't blunder in and say, hey, guess what? There is alien life. Because what would happen? Could be riots, could be all sorts of social upheaval and unrest. We could mess yeah. them up. So it seems reasonable. And it seems like a way of combating um, 
there's the, the arrogance of maybe one person to think that they know better mm. and that they can make a they can make a change for a society. Look at this stupid society and the stupid things they're doing. All they need to do is do it this way. Yes, definitely. White hands, job done. See ya. Yeah. And then, like ten years later, oh no, oh, I hadn't thought of that. It's all yeah. gone wrong. It's to they... prevent sort of a colonial attitude, isn't it? It's, a, it's yeah. a, to prevent to prevent empire, I suppose. It's uh, also, if you want to look at it from another angle, uh, uh, separating the wheat from the chaff, because they only the federation are the they. They only want people who've reached a certain level of technology um, interacting with them and mm. joining the Federation. And they don't want anyone who, I don't know, who hasn't achieved that level yet yeah. to be mm. on a par with them. And it's That's yeah. an interesting part. I've not thought of that. Yeah. And if, we, if, if the Federation go in and start sort of giving them hints and tips, mm. are you then getting a, you know, getting a species in too early before they're ready? Mm. You know, it might seem like a really obvious thing just to pop down and say, that wheel you've invented, probably <coughs> circle, not square. But actually, they're going around inventing square wheels. We don't want them coming up and joining our exactly. Federation. Yeah. They have square wheels. square wheels. Up onto they have square wheels in, in South Park. They have square wheels in Canada. <laughs> and look at that! Look at them! Look at the Canadians! <laughs> I'd rather have Canada in the Federation well, than a yes, lot of other places. Definitely. But anyway, um, is there is there sort of real world um, parallel in you know the idea of trying to bring democracy to a to a country that that isn't really structured for democracy, maybe isn't ready for it, and there's no real or simply does not you know doesn't want isn't there's structured an, for it. Yeah, a, well, yeah. it's not a real parallel, but in in you know in the in the nineteenth century, there's definitely a a movement of the Europeans went out into the new world and settled there and mm. interacted with the Aboriginal indigenous people there and and felt that they had to teach them how to do things properly because it's yes because the they thought way. yeah, which is so that's not a direct analogy but it but it does prevent that it kind does, of thing doesn't yeah. it yeah yeah it, it, it there's the attitude of, oh, that's going to introduce civilization to all these backwards tribes. Yeah, to but the as, as Picard says in um, Insurrection, who are we to determine the next course of evolution for these people? And actually, yeah. And also, it's, it's these people. Mm. Also, these, these most, if not all, um, Aboriginal cultures where they went already knew these things it was just the it was not the right not the right way to do things so mm. it, yeah I, I guess I guess a prime director could prevent them someone doing that kind of thing in, mm. because they think it's right yeah. and, and is is there another sort of real world parallel in in a, a America's treatment of um, you know na Native Americans yeah um, and uh, is if if um, at that time they had the prime directive, I guess may maybe things would have turned out mm. a Ooh. bit differently there. There is an example. Do you hear about the? There's an island called North Sentinel Island in the Indian Ocean, mm. where um, the natives are they're a, they're a pre Neolithic culture, and they the Indian government has a rule that you're not allowed to. I think it's in. I think it's technically part of India or. And the Indian government has a rule that you're not allowed to go there because the natives will kill you because they don't like outsiders, basically. Yeah. And recently there was a news story where a, a Christian missionary had gone over there to try and try and convert them. And, <laughs> and they killed him. 
Um, the Indian government said, you can't say he wasn't born. So, so yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but, but it is, but the, that government, it was illegal for anybody to go to that island right. because they didn't want to be, yeah. they didn't That's want outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. They're basically like Riker and anyone new coming on to Next Gen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's Call me Hutch. Oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> and it is, is, is the Prime Directive, to me as well, the Prime Directive is maybe a bit of a protection tool. Cause I always think, my line of work, if, if we're doing um, uh, software releases, we're, we're making changes to a piece of software and putting it into a live environment, it goes through a, ch- goes through a change management process. And there, no, look. Oh, guys, guys, guys. Oh, now look. This is change. Oh, what a but, boring analogy, guys! <laughs> but this change management process is a real—it's a real ball ache. But it's there to protect someone <laughs> from I'm making a change and put, putting it into a li- into a live environment, and and one person mm. causing a massive problem because there are loads of different people are kind of reviewing it. It's it's the prime directive kind of rule to say you protect yourself from from being liable for for you know totally destroying a society because if you if you stuck to the rules um, then then everything was fine Picard mentions that in in pen pals I think yeah I was just gonna say I, I think the lesson there is that all of will's analogy should now be put through a management <laughs> process <laughs> and screen oh, before yeah. <laughs> that's two work that's two work-based analogies in two episodes one, oh, sorry one, guys you're right, one you're right. basic um, <laughs> Flaws, not flaw. There's, there's one basic assumption in all of this that if you if a society attains a level of technology, it also attains a level of I don't know balance, so, societal mm. balance. And like, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. Everybody's and happy. Everybody happy. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, this, uh, but if you you know. And also intellectual sophistication to yeah. handle yeah. concepts. Which that's, yeah. that's, that's the phrase. And I that's it. So using of. technology as a measure of yeah, yeah intellectual yeah. sophistication. Which, which is yeah, it's, it's bollocks. It's, bo- yeah, yeah. it's, it's total bollocks. Well, Those are dickheads. Yeah. I've got iPhones. There it is. <laughs> well, uh, you pulled yourself back from your boring work analogy. <laughs> Thanks. Well man. done. If you if you give a society um, say the secrets of um, matter and antimatter power generation too soon kaboom true so true i think that. there is there is a level up but uh, maybe there's also like a level of uh, you have to achieve this level before you know you're really worthy of talking to us I so think, maybe there's a level I of arrogance there is there. a bit of, of that mm. going on you know i'm i'm, I'm I, I think i'm well known in in in, in this podcast of being slightly anti the federation you, you yeah you um yeah, you have some concerns about the Federation I do, and their, I do. their, uh, their happy, smiling, totalitarian, <laughs> yeah, dystopian. <laughs> yeah, you think the Federation is not a, it's not a utopian vision of the no, future. You see the dystopia in it. Yeah, side of it. Yeah. Which which so, which is your ideal civilization from Star Trek? Oh gosh. Uh, Klingons. Klingons. Yeah. <laughs> They are party fun times. Yeah, let's drink uh, blood wine and punch each other. <laughs> they are the one of the most fun. Which is essentially yeah. where we normally are at by the end of our podcasting evening. So. <laughs> okay, um, so now we've defined that a little bit. Um, let's have a little look at original series um, and some instances where they just 
shit all over the Prime Directive. Um, so, as it were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Return of the Archons is uh, one of the earliest examples. So, um, brief recap of the episode: they find um, a planet and determine that it is controlled by Landru, and um, Kirk decides to destroy Landru, the computer that oversees everyone in the society. Um, because he says the culture is stagnant and it's not developing. Yeah, yeah. It's his personal judgment. It is. I mean, in fairness, things are a bit messed up on that planet. Yeah, Landru has Landru has robbed that not not intentionally, but Landru has robbed the people of that planet of agency. Apart from about twelve hour period called festival, where yeah. they can go absolutely nuts. Now, I uh, I I love this episode. I think it's great, mm. and it has really. A really good opening. Well, it's all good. It's good all the way through. But the opening is really good. Where they first arrive in that town, it's really creepy and mm. eerie. It reminded me a bit of of the Twilight Zone, or as Will mentioned, the Prisoner. Yeah, yeah. Particularly the way they talk about things that they assume that a character would understand, and it's yeah, like like the festival. And you're not ready for festival. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's the red hour. Yeah, <laughs> the red. <laughs> You're like, what? That's so, that's so the prisoner. Come for the festival, eh, yeah? Yes. Got a place to sleep it off yet? Go round to Rager's house. He's got rooms. But you'll have to hurry. It's almost the red hour. Um, and it's a brilliant scene where yeah, Kirk's, it's nighttime, Kirk's looking out of a window and there's just all this madness going yeah. on in the town below. It's, it's very... Um, it's very creepy. I'll be honest, I see where Kurt's coming from. Yes. It's a fairly horrific. It's like everyone just wanders around with these creepy grins plastered on their face, being, you know, there is no there's no agency. They just they they they're the most extreme version of what Hajema sees the Federation. Yeah. <laughs> they have no spirit, as yeah. Spock says at one point. Until the point when suddenly massive violence, punching, raping, all sorts of horrible stuff going on. Uh, and then everyone like just sweeps up and carries on being weird, smiley people again. Mm. It's a bit like the Purge, I, I guess. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Which I've not seen, but I know the well, concept. I heard, of it. When I heard the premise for the Purge, I thought, "Wow, that's what's in the icons." <laughs> I I don't know. I I can see I I can see why Kirk did what he did mm. because yeah. it seems like this is something that was set up six thousand years ago. Um, and maybe maybe Landru has six thousand years of updates that would have made him work better. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just like they go into that. They, they blow a hole. If they'd gone into if they'd gone into the room where Landru is, instead of just looking through it and arguing him to death, they'd gone. Oh wait, Landru's got six thousand years yeah, of all these updates. That'll Java sort things out. Six Java six point one, Java six point five. Landru's just been going postpone, postpone for five hours, postpone for five. Yeah, Clippy, hours. Clippy the, <laughs> Clippy the. Paperclip saying, I see you've got 6,000 updates to <laughs> yeah. do. <laughs> so, yeah, I so with this one, I can I can see what, um, what, why Kirk did what he did. So, the, what I want to do is contrast this directly with another episode where Kirk makes almost the exact same argument for his breaking of the Prime Directive, and that's the Apple. Yeah. Now, on the Apple, they've been down to planet and they describe it as virtually an Eden, like a paradise. And then they find a lovely bunch of people who have uh, got minimal clothing on, just hanging out, being really chilled out. 
All these guys have to do, living a peaceful life in a luxury paradise, as long as they gather up a bit of fruit and feed it to the big carved monster head called Val, who looks after them. Yeah. But literally, there's no, there's no violence. There's no, well, there's no anything is Kirk's argument. But these people are peaceful. They're happy. So what's, what Kirk makes the exact same argument and justification for doing this because one a benevolent computer oversees them. Yeah. But I'm kind of like, well, actually, what's wrong with these guys? Why? They they hate computers in the original series. They have a real fucking problem with computers. <laughs> But in in um, Return of the Archons, Kirk has a key line, which he one line which he uses to justify breaking the Prime Directive. As Spock says to him, Captain, a Prime Directive of non-interference. That refers to a living, growing culture. Do you think this one is? And that's so. That feels like that's like subsection B, paragraph two mm. of the Prime Directive only applies to a living, growing culture. But what? What does that mean? How do you define so, that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's subjective, a sub- isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. a subjective view, I think. And especially and when you look at the apple, you know, that you could you could say that's a, a static culture, mm. it's not going anywhere. But the people are happy. Yeah, yeah so they don't have they, a red hour or anything yeah, like that. Does there has to does there have to be striving, does there have to be suffering in yeah. order to achieve Marching to the beat of the drum, struggling yeah. and clawing, or whatever is Kirk's speech is. I tell you what his yeah. problem is with this one. After some discussion with the um, with the, the feeders of Val, they find out Val has, has, has not permitted any kissing or any any other. Yeah. And he's just like no kissing. Ah, I'm having a, I'm not having this. I think Kirk was just like a, a benevolent computer running a society. I know how I can fix that. I can argue. I'm going to argue it to death <laughs> until smoke comes out of it, and sparks all come out. That's what Kirk loves doing. Then, then, he, then he basically leaves a, a, a big group of completely innocent people. Well, just leaves them all to on a planet with exploding rocks and poison dart shooting plants mm. without any of the protection they previously enjoyed from Val. Yeah, cheers, Kirk. Oh, Absolute geez. knob. Yeah. So, you know, they can kiss if they survive long enough <laughs> on this fucking death trap of a planet. Yeah. So that that does feel like it plays into the idea that I, that I think sort of comes from the Prime Directive is that the Prime Directive is kind of whatever the writer of that episode decides it mm. is. And maybe someone at some point says, what about the Prime Directive? And the writer goes, what if I put in a line... Where, that says why the prime director doesn't apply. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and there, there you go, print, yeah. print. Writers so, meeting uh, over. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, an episode, another episode in the original series that I have a bit of an issue with is Taste of Armageddon. And this one, the Federation's prioritised contacting um, one of two planets that are at war. They've sent a special ambassador to go and mediate the conflict, uh, and the Enterprise has taken there. And as they approach the first planet, they literally communicate with the Enterprise and say they want no contact. And so the ambassador says, let's go anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, Kirk butts into their war, finds out the whole war is played out by computer simulation, so there's no real bombs dropped or property damage. However, yes, yeah. if you are classed as killed in the simulated um, attack, you have to report to a disintegration booth and actually die. So Kirk messes up this whole thing, destroys the computers, and forces them, the two plants to face the prospect of either making peace or fighting a real war mm. where, uh, where there will be true devastation as yeah. well as death. 
An actual attack wouldn't have killed any more people than one of their computer attacks, but it would have ended their ability to make war. The fighting would have been over, permanently. But you didn't know that it would work. No. Basically, like, ah, don't, don't, don't have to thank me, guys. I've solved this problem. See you later. I'm just like, where does the They specifically requested no contact. They had a system. The system works for them. They are growing, growing societies. They are living. They are growing. They are thriving in their own system. They've set up. No matter how nutty that system is. Yeah. 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 I do. I do really like that episode because it's a cool. It's a cool sci-fi. It's a idea. Brilliant. It's yeah. a great setup. Yeah. Like, what if war it's is played a, I, I out as a simulation? And, yeah, I just, I just it. find it's completely incompatible with the Prime Directive. I, I right. like to think that the other planet that you never actually see—they're lying. <laughs> they're not killing any of them. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't yeah, believe they're yeah, killing yeah, people. Six, six. Yeah, yeah. How many yeah. people did you say we had to kill? <laughs> 50. Um, yeah. Let's say we killed 60. We've actually killed 60. <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe us. There's no way they can even check. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody idiots. <laughs> I, I think they probably do. They'd just be amazed at what you guys were actually killing those people. You're shitting me. You really killed them. Oh, you, you, you nutters. Yeah. Oh, God, we feel awful. Killing man. Man. <laughs> thought this was all a joke. <laughs> thought but, it was just bants. Yeah. I thought this was just a really big years. strategy game. Sorry, I thought I heard something. Sorry. You actually, no. you are. So, um, but yeah, it's just like. They, Barge in for no discernible reason. I'm not even, I can't even remember why it was so important they contact these people, apart from the Federation wants to be seen as the guys who mediated this ongoing war. Because right. like this war wasn't points. this war wasn't affecting the Federation. Wasn't affecting, it wasn't impacting uh, anyone outside. So what? What? It was none of their business, was yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. It was none of their business, and they were asked not to come along. Um, so it's kind of a, but. The original series did have some fairly fluid concepts. Yeah. yeah. What was so kind of like they maybe hadn't really pinned that down or weren't even thinking about it at that point. But um, likewise, when we get to something like Errand of Mercy, now the whole crux of Errand of Mercy is they go to the planet Organia thinking the Organians are like a medieval level society. Turns out they're super advanced, but they didn't know that when they turned up and said, Oh, we've just been down from a spaceship, and we need to tell you some Klingons are coming from their spaceships. They're going to take over, so you know we will come to help help you. Um, they're a medieval society. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That that's just because they hate. Is in that episode of it, it's kind of mentioned a bit of an offhand way. Oh, we're at war with the Klingons now mm. at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they just they just have a real problem with the Klingons. So they um, my only thing there I can think of is it's it's either do that or let the Klingons take the place and then yeah. I'll be bothered about the Prime Directive. So I kind of sort of is the justification there's like it's gonna get broken by the Klingons if we don't, so at least we yeah. can help them. It, I guess the idea is part of the Prime Directive is the sort of non interference thing and they're kind of thinking, well, this society is going to get interfered with anyway yeah. by the Klingons. We're better than the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Let's go and interfere with them better. I suppose it's kind yeah. of a case of discovering that alien life exists, but you know we just try and keep it minimal. Whereas the Klingons mm-hmm. would take, would do in fact put a garrison on the planet and take over. Yeah. So it's kind of like 
Maybe that's there. What What I like about Erin de Mercy is that it it totally gets flipped around, and both mm. both Kirk and the Klingons are just made to look like idiots because yeah. those guys totally had it in hand anyway. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's not until the last minute that the Organians like kind of we are now going to have to intervene with you guys. Yeah. We're going to have to come and intervene with you lower lower societies. Yeah, yeah. They, I guess they sort of have their own. Prime yeah. directive of non-interference, and they and but what, they like, they don't ultimately because they do stop a war. Yeah, uh, yes. war. They, they specifically say we're not going to let you destroy each other and kill billions. Even if you have some power that we don't understand, you have no right to dictate to our Federation or our Empire how to handle their interstellar relations. We have the right to wage war, Captain. To kill millions of innocent people. To destroy life on a planetary scale? Is that what you're defending? I guess one thing in Star Trek, as far as I'm aware, that there isn't an incident in canon which sets the precedent for the Prime Directive, right? Because in Enterprise, they talk about something that will mm. eventually have to happen because of the, the incidents yeah. that they've been involved yeah, in. Yeah. But, but I don't think there's anything that's happened that sets up the, the, you know, the need for the rule that becomes the prior directive. Nothing, nothing seen on screen. No. Right. And G- General Order One, which is which is the prime directive, right? That's in place at the time of Discovery. Yeah. Which is mm. ten years before the original series. But yeah, we know it's not in place yet. The time of Enterprise. So mm. yeah, somewhere in the middle it happens. I mean, I, I think, I guess it's, it's basically, the. Starfleet trusts its captains, but in case yeah. one of them makes a terrible decision, yeah, this is in place to to at least say, "Well, we told you not to do this, so if you do it, then we can we can prosecute you, or, yeah, or we can or, or we can absolve we can absolve ourselves of responsibility." Yeah, it's like uh, if you if, uh, you uh, you're in yeah. breach of uh, change management, well, you should put through a change. <laughs> stop hasn't been stop properly talking authored. about that. <laughs> sorry, man. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, totally like that. <laughs> as as we mentioned, General Order One and Discovery. Shall we um, discuss the most mm-hmm. recent Discovery episode? Um, although by the time this goes out, there's probably been three or three more episodes. At time of recording, yes. At time of yeah. recording, the most recent episode is uh, what was it? Sand Thunder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get to see Discovery revisit. Um, well, actually, Saru returns home mm-hmm. as Discovery visits. Um, his home planet, place Saru not expected to return to, um, and they do it as part of investigating the uh, the red bursts. Um, so to gather some information, Saru need and Burnham need to go down to the planet, and they deem it captain's discretion in terms of general order number one mm. about making contact. Yeah, because thanks to the Barul, the Kelpians are aware of advanced technology and the potential for space travel. And they have a Kelpian who's gone and joined Starfleet. So they're kind of like, it's not going to be a terrible impact on the society, I guess. And it's they, up to the captain. That'd be a violation of General Order 1. Though the Kelpians aren't warp-capable, they've seen warp-capable technology through the Bayul, and they know about spaceflight. First contact with the Kelpians by Starfleet is a judgment call, but our mission to investigate these signals would seem to require it. We can stretch General Order 1, but let's try not to break it in the process. So, I mean, I, I, I can see sides for and against that, but... I kind of accept it, Starfleet's come down on the side of let the captain make the discretion 
if it's and it is kind of a necessary thing so they do yeah. it where I feel that they then completely piss on General Ordenborn is uh, a little later in the episode where they've determined that and this is getting get a bit complicated and if you haven't seen Discovery yet you probably want to skip ahead a little bit um, the Kelpians reach a stage in their life cycle they believe they have to be culled by the Ba'ul but in fact the reason that was happening was because the Ba'ul knew the Kelpians would become a predatory race and had nearly previously hunted them to extinction and in fact the Kelpians were the apex predator and the Ba'ul were not it's a little bit of a flip around from what we understood um, and then Discovery utilises technolo technology stuff to ensure all the Kelpians mm. suddenly go through this yeah. stage of their life cycle yeah. and become predators. Without asking them if they, if they wanted no, they to never, do yeah. this. They, they, none of them were informed. No. I guess, I guess the difference here is that Saru, Saru is a native member of that, yes. so, that species and that society, but they're, but he's he's not in charge. No, he's not, he's like not in a position to ask for an act on their behalf. No, in fact, he, Saru didn't even know they were about to do it. They yeah, started that's that without true. him. Even if you counted his sister as a as a as a high priest, as someone who could represent that society in Asphalt, she didn't. Mm, no. It wasn't gone through her. And both the Kelpian and the Ba'ul are native to that one planet. Although there is a discrepancy in their technology levels, they're still part of the same ecosystem, part of the same culture. And Starfleet's just barged in, done a techno babble thing, and completely flipped them out. Mm. Of course, yes, you can argue morally that what the Bowel do with their lies of balance and the way they've set it all up is reprehensible, and I completely get from a moral standpoint why you'd want to flip them around. Is it but it's not their job to. But also, is, is it, it's a lie from, the, from, from Saru's point of view, but it isn't a lie. What they have achieved is a kind of balance. Mm. Both, both societies exist in their own right in a, in a balance, and it, it's, it works now. If they went to a it planet, if they went to a planet and people ate meat, would they, would they yeah. free the, would they free the livestock? Mm. They would probably go, no, it's just. Hang on, let's use our techno bubble way <laughs> to give all, all of the sheep and cows yeah, machine that, guns. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that sphere yeah, could probably yeah. do it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not, it's not. Yeah, it's it's their society. And it, it's it was completely yeah. out Maybe, of place for yeah. Discovery to do that. Yeah, I feel. Was, yeah. yeah. And then, then when the um, there, there's a point where they were the bowed, 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 kind of commit genocide. And not kind of. They are they going try to. to. Yeah. yeah. They're, 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 they're going to wipe out the the all of the villages. And again, they without even hesitating. They're like, yeah, well, let's stop them. Let's let's open fire and destroy but, all of the. Uh, well, the, the, the genocide move is a direct consequence of Discovery's interference. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they, yeah. they're actually. Yeah, I guess that's by yeah. that point they've already interfered. They're actually responsible for that. Mm. Yeah, you're now, you're now trying to undo the consequences of your own interference. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did have a query on that one because they said it was those towers. Each village has one of these sort of tower things, and it was those that were going to then blow up or whatever yeah so, so right we'll take out the towers fire a photo on torpedo each one the hell's gonna be left of a village after a torpedo <laughs> impact in one of those central towers yeah, yeah. Torpedo. That's a lot. slower torpedoes as well isn't it 
yeah, there's like thousands of these villagers. I guess they they can't, they did say they're not going to be able to take them all out. Yeah, but they'll they, they know, need they a torpedo complement equal to Voyager's thirty eight, which is to yeah. say thousands apparently. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But to quote, uh, I just brought up a quote from from Pen Pals, which which um, it's a TNG episode where they mm. they discuss the Prime Directive. And one of the key things they say is the Prime Directive is not a matter of degrees; it is an absolute. I have a problem with that kind of rigidity. It seems callous, and even a little cowardly. Yeah, doctor. Uh... I'm sure that is not what the lieutenant meant. But in a situation like this, we have to be cautious. What we do today may profoundly affect the future. If we could see every possible outcome, we'd be gods, which we're not. If there is a cosmic plan, is it not the height of hubris to think that we can or should interfere? And uh, Pike's just like, eh, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are motivated by their love of Saru. Hmm. However, they are. They, they are. They are. They are officers. Of the yeah, it's not very professional, is it? Um, yeah, I think. I think it's made quite clear that when Saru leaves his planet to join Starfleet, he he's un- understands that that he is leaving. He is not to return. It's not. This is because this is not Federation making relations with his planet. This is him because he has shown a certain level of ingenuity with the technology and a desire. That they are willing to give him a chance, but once he commits to Starfleet, he's committing to Starfleet. So I don't think he's in a position to say. Just, he has yeah. obviously very strong feelings about the situation, but he's not in a position to request or provide that interference through Starfleet. You're right. What if it was say if it was on TNG and it was Worf, um, who was making a decision about the the Klingons, mm. um, future development of the. The Klingons. He wouldn't be as a member of Starfleet. He wouldn't be allowed to, you know. And Picard would step in and say, "Wolf, you don't forget you're part of Starfleet." Well, you, in fact, he does. does. If you look at Redemption, leaves, mm. yeah. Leave Starfleet. yeah, he has. Yeah, that's it. He ultimately he the only way he can reconcile his desire to help his people is to resign from Starfleet, mm. because prior to that, he's he's trying to do things to prove his family's innocence and everything. Things will lead up to Garon taking leadership. And Picard has to rein him in and say, your duties as a Starfleet officer don't work with this. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of yeah. where that position lies. So what, what about Kirk's excuse in uh, Return of the Archons where he says, well, this refers, that the Prime Directive refers to a living, growing culture. Do you think this is one? And does, does that apply to the, to, to, to the Kelpians? It, it I mean. To the, the battle, battle or the developing it's, technology yeah. yeah and you know what it, the Kelpians are going along they're not they're not I, going extinct are they they're not no they no. they are being they are being, they are being oppressed at a, yeah but lots of cultures are oppressed and the Prime Directive would for, would prohibit yeah. involvement in in um, the yeah, original series thing. episode um Brennan yeah, the Federation didn't slaves and there's, there's oppression there. And, yeah, and the, the Federation. Did, I'm sorry, Jeremy. Yeah, don't break that. The the Federation didn't get involved in Bajor when the Cardassia occupied it. No, no. no. It's 
the, the, the where I, where I fall on on the whole issue with the Calpians and Owl is I think they probably made the morally correct decision to help an oppressed species. I don't think they made the Prime Directive correct decision. Mm. But they don't have a Bowel crew member. <laughs> well, if they had a Bowel crew member, then at least the yeah, I mean the Bowel crew member would be a bit oily. <laughs> Oh, we're gonna get crewman crewman Zar from his from his from his oil pool. I think we should destroy that Calpian. That's what he would say. It's pointy Yeah, yeah. I know he, he, he talked with his hands a lot. That guy, which couldn't yeah. have big, long, spiky, drippy hands, was a bit weird. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I I just it seems like they did that because one of their friends is a Kelpian. Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I just, I just find the fact that none of them even reflected on the ramifications of this with, a, with General Order 1. Yeah. Mm. They mentioned it in a completely different area early on about contact. But then what they did was completely flip around the course of a society. Yeah. And no one bats an eyelid. And, yeah. And presumably now they're just going to leave. Well, yeah, well, yeah, because his sister's going to look after it. She'll yeah. sort it out. Yeah. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Just a whole Bloody. bunch of companies are going to like shoot darts out the yeah. side. Of their head, at least with, with Return of the Archons, it is it is Kirk that makes that decision. He is the captain of that ship, so the decision sort of rests with him, and he's made that he's made that judgment. Mm. Whereas in this, oh, I don't. Know. Yeah, like you were pointing out, it seems to be a bit. It's maybe not even the captain's judgment. It's just that people are coming up with this idea. To use the to use that old sphere that that carked it, just <laughs> yeah. and and that sphere's probably going. Ah, this is not what I intended. Yeah, so I yeah I mean I I I do think that the the civilization in Return of the Archons was wasn't progressing. It would no. it had been caught in some sort of weird computer feedback loop where it was just it was sort of stagnating perhaps mm, yeah. whereas at least there was some form of balance on on this planet and it, it's just it's incredibly reckless to interfere with that yeah yeah and i, I and i don't i i was i was species is is has been left in a state that it has no no knowledge of yeah, and it's no c- understanding <clears throat> of this state that it's now left i mean i guess i guess it was the red angel that came in and did an EMP? Yeah. But that, so that was to stop the the genocide. Yeah. Yeah. But the Red Angel brought them there in the first place, so one would assume well, that yeah, it we, meant that to happen. At this at, the, at this point in the series, we don't know the Red Angel's motives, so it's very little we can ascribe to yeah. that. Um, but I, regardless, I don't think. Well, probably the Red Angels led us there for a reason. Is a good <laughs> is a good way to completely no. flip off of the prime directive yeah. like that because that was reckless and crazy and. On, on on the flip on the flip side though, I it did make for a compelling episode. Oh, it was a brilliant episode. What made yeah. it interesting is we don't see that sort of massive change in Star Trek very often. Usually the mm. the the line is we're not we're not going to interfere. It's quite unusual. It was pretty epic to see like a massive kind of societal change, and I I love the the big barrel thing coming out of the ocean like a, that was really like epic. a city ship or whatever it is well yeah the thing is if in two three series kelpians have completely wiped out the battle yeah. taken yeah. their technology out and taken their new fearless and aggressive yep. motives out into the stars and become an aggressor race wouldn't that be interesting what if, what if it's like it's going to be like 
Whoops. <laughs> what if Pike's uh, injuries are a result of maybe that he he's involved in the first battle with the Kelpians because he's kind of responsible for Ooh, and, and he yeah that's how he gets his injuries. Uh-huh. Oh, I'd like that. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, I mean, the, the, this this is a yeah this is a potential consequence of their actions. I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, it, it it's is. not it's not ridiculous to think that. Act- in time, the Kelpians could mm. become a, an aggressive species. Maybe from the way, I think it would be. They were doing the uh, universal service. Exactly, it would be a really interesting direction for Discovery to take. If if in future episodes, yeah, Pike's like oh, made a really bad decision that day. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I'm too. Really. No, sometimes I'm too nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I, I and I think that would that would make me um, enjoy this episode a whole lot more, mm. knowing knowing where it goes. I guess we don't know where it goes yet. No, and this this is this is one of the things I always be very cautious about judging episodes of Discovery because the larger story until that's complete, I think it's very difficult to judge yeah, yeah. an episode on individual merits. Certainly, I enjoyed season one on rewatch mm. a lot better than I. A lot more yeah. than I enjoyed it first time around, and I can't really quite quantify why, but but I did. Because you understand, I think, because you understand each part, each small piece's part in the larger tapestry. Yeah. So uh, and that makes it more satisfying, probably. Yeah. Um, but we're yes. not discussing the merits or that or not of Discovery's ongoing story. Yeah. We're talking about Prime Directive. We are. Um, are we venturing to TNG era? Now, some of us have put ourselves through the nightmare of watching Justice. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I had only had seen Justice since I was probably about like, eight years old, uh, watching it on its original run, because why would you ever want to revisit <laughs> that episode out of choice? But, yeah, we decided yep. it was time to do that. Yeah. Wow, what? An episode if just ever, there's an episode is, that I feel was very reflective of Gene Roddenberry's vision and personality. <laughs> it's when they come across a peaceful planet where everything is serene and everyone just has sex with each other all the time. <laughs> Shall we go there now or remain and play? Play? I'd love. Oh, unless you don't enjoy that. Perhaps you do. <laughs> yes. Do you like to and love? Right? Do you do you know how to hat. run? <laughs> we, like run we like running and fucking on this planet. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> running and fucking and playing ball. Yeah, that's all we do. Yeah, as as we can run around and penetrate each other. We're after. <laughs> yeah. My word. Why are they? What are they, how? Prime directive wise, are they just saying these guys are so into running and fucking that they won't even notice that we've arrived on a spaceship? <laughs> The, the fact that they even beam down and introduce yeah. themselves in the start. That's like, what I was thinking. Because there's no evidence that they, they just They were just any... desperate for surely. For the benefit of those not uh, viewing this on the hot I'm pulling a confused face because I can't even articulate my confusion about why they just beam down and talk to them. 
Yeah, they're like because they think people have been like some people have been down there already, haven't they? Jordy and Riker, I think. Yeah, and Tasha. And he's like, and he's like, so he's like the dudes are rocking yeah. epic camel toe. Yeah. Everyone's oh, rocking camel toe. I've never seen <laughs> camel toe before that. Episode. Right, it's just like yeah, we've just come down for an initial uh, recon mission. I've had sex with four people. <laughs> <laughs> and even war. I didn't sex. even take my trousers off. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> be that, and I'm having sex. <laughs> even Worf's like nice planet. <laughs> One thing very, I would say, very complimentary. One thing I would say about the is the Edo, isn't it? Mm. They are a Nazi's dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they're all blonde. They're all blonde. Blue, they're all blonde and strapping and beautiful and perfect. <laughs> and, and, and oh, and they will follow follow rules to oh, the absolute yeah. exactly, exactly. And I think there's a there's a bit uh, later on in the episode where like a, a weird bubble kind of comes onto the to the mm, to yes. the ship and I, I read in an early in an early draft of the script the bubble had like a little like a little square moustache <laughs> <laughs> and it was like why, why have you come to the planet with my beautiful blonde people who loves the running and the fucking <laughs> and also the playing ball to a lesser extent oh they love balls so much <laughs> <laughs> Not as much as the fucking, <laughs> and also the running. Uh, so, um, the Edo also have a very weird rotating area where laws apply. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, any given point, there's one small area <laughs> where all laws Surprise! are punishable by death. It's like crop rotation, but but punishment rotation, I suppose. Even if it's something as minor as keep off the grass. So when Wesley Crusher falls onto a a tiny greenhouse and smashes it, it just happens that that, out of a whole planet, is that point designated punishment. To the point where, when the other crew come up and interfere with the immediate execution of Wesley... The the, the, ex, the guys coming to do the execution say, it's lucky that two minutes ago, <laughs> yeah. this was not the punishment zone. Otherwise, you're interfering. Would be, I'd kill you as well. <laughs> My, yeah. I, I, I also love that the guys who are policing the death zone, they're not next to the death zone. They're somewhere off running and fucking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Off in the distance. And to some extent, playing ball. Jogging up. <laughs> Oh, I hear someone's... I hope they're careful of those lethal injections they're carrying around. It's one slip, and that could be awkward. Uh, Um, Like a a weird, sexy Judge Dredd. (laughs) (laughs) At no point uh, does Wesley apologise for smashing up the... the, I think think he does. does. I think he does. When they come running over, he says, Oh, I'm I'm all right. Don't worry about me. Hey, guys, it's all right. I'm okay." okay. It's like... Um, it's very easy yeah. with this episode to get diverted into the other bits but the, the, the actual prime directive point is that it's felt that they, the Edo's claim to put Wesley to death becomes a prime directive matter because it's their internal laws Yeah. even though is the prime directive not broken by Wesley being there with the away team I'm not sure where we were yeah. Does he, so they and can take Wesley away break the prime directive or let them execute Wesley. There's a point where the Edo even invite them to do that. They yeah. basically put. They basically say, mm, "You could, you could just rescue him." <laughs> ah, we won't mind. No, we'll just listen. Like they don't yeah. say it like that, though, do they? They mm. say, "Oh, well, you're so superior. You could just come down here and take him any time you like." We are not yet as advanced as they are. 
And since you are advanced in other ways too, I suggest you use your superior powers to rescue the Wesley boy. We will record him as a convicted criminal out of our reach. An advanced person who luckily escaped the barbarism of this backward little world. I'm, I'm too busy doing those things. Well, the, yeah. the, the, it boils so, down to the weird extra-dimensional Edo god, yeah. which is not fully explored, and sadly I'm not, no, there's not kind of an interesting concept mm. in there that they don't sort of flesh out. But basically the Edo god would have the power to restrain the Enterprise or let them go. And it ultimately comes down to, well, we've said the Prime Directive is really important, and if we break it, those guys might think we're dicks and stop us. Or we might be able to convince them that it's okay to break the Prime Directive. So then it boils down to Riker just shouts out to the air, <laughs> when has justice ever been as simple as a rule book? And the Edo god is like, fair point, off you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that, but um, but Picard has a really good line, actually, before that, which, I, which was almost like the redeeming point of this dog mm. shit episode it's just a shame that that, says, that that didn't convince the Edo god it was Riker's yeah it was no you're right but Picard says there can be no justice so long as laws are absolute even life itself is an exercise in exceptions when has justice ever been as simple as a rule book I, I really liked that I thought yeah that, that is that is basically right like, like laws even um even the law of you know you shouldn't do a murder on someone isn't an absolute because you you can do a murder at wartime if the murder that you do is the enemy mm. like that is legal murder there's a, like there's always an exception to a rule there's always like some some context some context and what picard's saying is is absolutely right but also he's completely dissing the prime directive in that mm. in that Line. He's basically saying, "Yeah, there can be no justice so long as laws are absolute, but the, the prime directive is meant to be absolute." Yeah. So it's 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 an, it's an interesting line, and it's it's contradictory to things that he says subsequently about the prime directive. It is, but I, and I like it. I I also feel that the like, when has justice ever been as simple as a rule book? Mm. Yeah, most justice systems really hinge on a set of rules. Like, <laughs> yeah, isn't that the very the entire point? Yeah, but they but, can be. But then, then a legal system is is also kind of uh, there are always precedents yes, which are. change yeah. changes rules and and yeah, I, I think Riker is right. I, it's it, uh, just I, I just think maybe it's too pat a statement. Yeah, for the Edo gods, it, it, extra dimensional beings beyond our comprehension to go. Okay. Yeah, to go. Oh no, I've never thought of that well, before. Well, maybe they they saw the different levels in that statement. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel there's there's very little question over whether they're going to break the prime directive, and more a question of mm. how can we do it? How can we do it on a technicality? Yeah, essentially, it, and that kind of which which makes for a for an incredibly dull episode. <laughs> I have to say, I think this is this is the worst episode of Star Trek that I've seen in a long time, and I have a t- high tolerance for for terrible episodes. <laughs> but but e- but even so, I still think. Still think there's an interesting, um, kind of kind of spark of a story mm. actually in justice, and and I think that's very telling by the way that we've discussed it for so long. Like e- even such a dire episode has enough worth that we can commit mm. some time 
to to talk about it. I think yeah. that that's that that's a great thing about Star Trek. I think that even at its lowest, it still can spark some some debate and interest. When Next Gen began airing, that was literally my first exposure to Star Trek. So this episode wow. constitutes my first exposure to the Prime Directive. Yeah. So all my prime directive thoughts essentially <laughs> stem from this episode. And you avoid you avoided walking on the grass whenever you saw that sign. Or tiny greenhouses. This this okay. is completely irrelevant to the Prime Directive, but there's there's a bit in this episode that I thought was hilarious where the ship sensors are scanning um this this Edo god and Picard says to Jordy, Why don't you why don't you take a real look? <laughs> a proper look. So Jordy has to go look out the window. Yeah. What a weird moment! He, but he, send, he sends the one blind member of the queue, of the of the crew to have a look out of a window. I say, what is he thinking? But I, I he's got his visor. I think yeah, it's the visor thing. Is that is that it? But is I, it, what can the yeah, visor yeah, see that isn't built into the sensor suite exactly. of the most advanced starship of the fleet? Does Picard completely distrust the ship sensors? I, I can't believe they put some sensor capability in that small hairband side. They didn't think to stick on this giant starship. Yeah. Why is he sending the pilot to kind of look out the window as well at that point? Yeah, it's so parked. <laughs> um, yeah, a weird moment in a weird, weird episode. So, um, staying on the next gen, there's two yeah. episodes I want to talk directly about because I think they are a bit of a contrast in the crew's attitudes. That's Pen Pals and Homeward. Mm. Pen Pals is a series two episode where Data has got an amateur radio hobby going on. Uh, this is a great scene. Sorry to interrupt so early, but there's a great scene where where Data's just doing something like a, it is a hobby, isn't it? And yeah. then we all have a little nerdy conversation about what what about what Data, he's doing. Data's got his shit out all over the bridge. Yeah, he's like messing over it. <laughs> He's left his stuff all over the floor. Yeah. It's like, I, 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 I will take this back to my quarters. It's like, yeah, well, you should. <laughs> what is it? Why are you <laughs> you brought it here. <laughs> he's into, like, ham radio, right? He's, like, he's, doing, he's, doing, he's got his little ham radio operation going on. So I've got a change management conference call to join. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thrust of Pen Pals is Data's little amateur radio hobby means he accidentally makes contact with a, a small child from a world that is on the verge of exploding or something. Yeah. Um, and he then breaks the Prime Directive by responding to her communications. Um, and then they end up in a situation where they essentially decide to help save the planet. Um, they argue a technicality that the child has is a, is a native of that planet who's, made, who's entered a plea for help. Yes, yeah, that's <coughs> the I, thing that they... I think that's the technicality. There's, it's a reach on their part, but they go with it, and then yeah. they use their technology to save the planet. Um, this episode has a, a something that's relatively relatively rare for TNG. I think isn't it? there's a there's conflict within the main mm, crew. Th- there's a, a there's a great scene in the ready room where they argue this issue, and, and they're pretty divided. I would yeah. say Riker and Worf are oh, very um, in favour of. Prime Directive is is <coughs> absolute, and you know they make the point that what if there's a plan for the for the universe? It's not our place to intervene. Are these people fated to die? Um, yeah, uh, that's essentially Riker's thing. And like LaForge is like, well, if that's the plan, it's a rubbish one. So what are you saying that that the Dremens are, are fated to die? I think that's an option that we should be considering. 
Consider it considered and rejected. If there is a cosmic plan, are we not a part of it? Our presence at this place, at this moment in time, could be a part of that fate. Right, and it could be part of that plan that we interfere. Well, that eliminates the possibility of fate. But, Commander, the Draymonds are not a subject for philosophical debate. They are a people. So, we make an exception in the deaths of millions? Yes. And is it the same situation if it's an epidemic and not a geological calamity? Absolutely. What about a war? If generations of conflict is killing millions, do we interfere? Something along those lines. Yeah. Well, well, he also helps us up to the buffet. Yeah. <laughs> and this is another thing. It's not. It's not in the ready room. It's in Picard's quarters for some reason. But I love and Picard's laid out snacks. <laughs> yeah, there's a great bit where Geordie's just chowing down. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that. I thought it, that was a distracting mm. thing. Uh, but it's. A, I, I think it's a great scene in it the is, episode. It is a really it's a good really, scene. Really well written, yeah. and really interesting debate that they have. Yeah, I like it's Pulaski and LaForge versus um, Riker and Worf, yeah. essentially. Well, well and Pulaski, Pulaski has an involvement, yeah. um, but Picard's just sort of letting both sides come through before he gets for a decision, isn't he? Yeah. Worf's really harsh in that. But, there's um, a but, 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 Pulaski, but Pulaski kind of calls him on that yeah. and says he's yeah. callous and cowardly. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, she does. She's not intimidated by yeah. Worf. Yeah. No. And there's a bit where where <coughs> I, I can't remember who it is. I think um, I, I just want to just want to just want to save a friend, and uh, and and Wolf says Data's friend. Data's friend is going to die. That means something. To Data. <laughs> oh, nice one, Wolf. <laughs> that's yeah, that's like, kind. That's nice. Because she's friends with Data. Yeah. It's not like Data's fucking problem. It's not ours. That's, that's true. What he's and there's even it's there's horrible. a there's a really horrible bit later on as well when they've made this decision and um, Data takes Sajenka onto the ship, oh, yeah. and O'Brien says, well, "What about?" That and he, yeah, what, a, that. what an awful thing to say. Yeah, she's right there. <laughs> Where are you going? To the bridge. And you're going to take that? Don't leave me here, please. Don't leave me here. I, I, yeah. yeah and, I'm and, sure I'd heard that right. No, I, I did a double take of that. Yeah. What? And uh, miles. <laughs> <laughs> Picard, Picard is absolutely yeah. horrified. Yeah. When there's a when he discovers there's a child on the bridge, he won't even look at it. He's, he's not bothered about That's, the prime directive. Yeah, ch- no, his, his it's children his, his children on the bridge problem resurfaces in this he episode. Does, yeah, right back from the from the pilot episode. <laughs> he's brought a child on my bridge. Won't even look her in the eye. He's absolutely disgusted. The idea of a of a young person. <laughs> Oh, it's like it's like an old Star Trek fan, I guess. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. like new new people no. coming in with their new Bloody series. Millennials. <laughs> um, so yeah, then in series seven we get Homeward, where um, they respond to a distress call from Worf's um, foster brother Nikolai, who's doing the um, secret observer thing on a um, early. They love that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and their, their planet's doomed, and the crew are like, no, well, shit happens. Come on, yeah. then, let's, let's get Nikolai up and leave him to it. <coughs> leave him to be wiped out, be fine. Yeah, yeah, Picard has a line where he's like... Um, this is one of those times when 
We must face the ramifications of the Prime Directive and honor those lives which we cannot save. I find no honor in this whatsoever, Captain. I really, I really like that line. That's great. There's a conference room scene where Nikolai's trying to argue his point and the only person on the Next Gen crew who, who in any way feels that he's got a point is Dr. Crusher. Mm. Yeah. And it's, when you compare that to the scene that we've discussed from Pen Pals where the crew are really divided and there's very passionate arguments. Yeah. It's just like, Homeward makes the, the crew, the, our heroes from the show, look a bit horrible. Do you know, it does. I, mm. I think I think Picard is a little bit out of character mm. in this episode. He He's just a bit too willing to accept the death of a whole yeah. species. Um, I, I just, and, yeah, I, I don't quite... I think he's... I don't think he's quite as... Created a little that. bit of headcanon about that, though, didn't we? Did we? That he's, <laughs> been, he's been pulled up by right. the brass. That's right, because there's an and episode he's... where I can't remember which one it is, but there's they reference the fact that he's had he's done nine prime directive violations already. Which admiral is it that tells him that? Is it, oh, is it, it um, in the drum head? Oh no, yeah. that'd be um, Admiral Sati. Captain, do you believe in the prime directive? Of course. In fact, it's Starfleet's general order number one, is it not? A point, Admiral. Would it surprise you to learn that you have violated the Prime Directive a total of nine times since you took command of the Enterprise? Yeah. yeah. I think there's a point where they... Yeah, I'm sure they say he's, do, he's done nine so he's, he's treading carefully then, do you reckon? That's what we think. We think he's 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 been thoroughly spanked over his actions in Pen Pals. And he's like, I think he's been told, this is your last warning. You bre- you breach the Prime yeah. Directive again. You are done. Yeah. And he hates being a ju- the idea of being a junior officer, as we know from Tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think he is, I think he's towing yeah. the line. That's that's yeah. our headcanon. Yeah, like, yeah. Kind of, yeah. But, you know, Geordie's not bothered now. Where's Geordie's passionate response gone? Yeah, because yeah, there was no snacks in that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe his blood sugar was really low. He was just tired. <laughs> um, and then, because when, when Nikolai forces the issue and secretly beams the village population up into his little holodeck thing, everyone's mad at him. Yeah. I mean, you know, after pen pals, he's like, everyone's like, nice one, good idea, good thinking. Not much we can do about it now. We're going to have to have. Like rehome them. Stuff is not going to condone us like just killing a bunch of people, shoving out the airlock, are they? So let's go with it and just say whoops, and we can just blame the civilian. Brilliant. No, yeah. they're all really cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, ah, oh, you're such a dick for saving. Yeah. Like they call the small village, the last of a species. Yeah. In fact, they all what? call him Dickalai behind his back. <laughs> I think they do. Yeah. It's childish, but you know they can be childish, particularly to people who aren't normally yeah. in the crew. They call Especially they call Reg Barkley uh, broccoli, broccoli, don't they? Yeah. So it's not it's not a very unkind nickname. No, it's not a witty nickname, either, is it? <laughs> and they've been observing that culture as well, haven't they? So it's it's, it's a yeah. bit it's a bit cold to. Observe a culture and then go. Well, they're, they're going to die. Let's just clear off. Yeah. Oh well. Shrug shoulders. Because <laughs> I yeah I don't think I don't think you know pre- preserving the existence of a of a species or a culture at that level. I don't think I don't think that breaches the prime directive. I think you're you're yeah. there at that time. You have. 
for whatever reason you are there at that time and and you have a decision to make it's, yeah, I think it's a significantly lesser breach than say switching around the apex predator of a bloody planet <laughs> definitely definitely and as Picard says there can be no justice so long as laws are absolute even life itself yeah. is an exercise in exceptions Ooh. this is a case where they need to make an exception and it's kind of obvious to everyone except for the <laughs> for the crew who don't give a shit yeah, if, um, until the, the the hand is forced by Nikolai. If I was on the crew and 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 they had done that, I would say I don't want any part of this. I, I resign. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and I and I, I, I think um, you know, like it's pretty fair that, that like Nikolai's actions are, are pretty fair. I think he probably thinks, well, you know, this could be the end of my career, but also who cares? I'm going <laughs> to save the lives of all these. People, yeah, yeah. so isn't that worth? If the cost of that is my career, okay, fine, mm. I'll do it. Mm. He uh, then goes on to get one of them pregnant. Yeah, well, it turns so out he already had. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Kind of feel like his his overall plan was probably to stay with them anyway. So yeah. career-wise, he's not bothered. Yeah, but he's already got one. How's he? How, how is he going to explain the? Well, I, I went native, but I, I went a bit too native. <laughs> I was going to explain the whole differences in that child. Because um, he's maintained that he is one of the He's people. probably going to blame a, a, a godlike uh, action. Yeah, they true. are quite spiritual yeah. people. Yeah. He'll blame it on Worf. <laughs> Bloody seer. Can't believe he's messed up my kid. <laughs> Although, yeah. yeah, of all the people you want to do improv, Worf's the last one, I guess. <laughs> If but he's he does all right, to be fair. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sign of the Forge. But actually, if Nikolai did blame the baby's altered features on a religious intervention, doesn't that make him like Descartes in that episode of DS9 where Descartes has a baby with a Bajoran woman and claims it's a sign from the past? Oh, that's where he yeah. runs it when he has a cult. Yeah. 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 That's a really good episode. It is. Yeah. But it's nothing to do with the prime director. Yes. So, True. Um, <laughs> Um, another good one is 30 Days, however, I didn't get around to watching it. Um, oh. I can't remember that well because I'm not I'm not a particularly big fan of Tom Paris, so... Um, well, one, do you know, I, I really like 30 Days. May, I, may I just go uh, re- do a slight did. rewind? You can and there's, a, there's an episode of TNG called The Hunted, where mm. where the Enterprise are at a planet called, planet called Argosia, I think, Angosia. and they're... Angosia, and they're... Angosia's petitioning to be join the federation yeah. and and the enterprise gets involved in a in an incident on that planet where where um, a, someone's like an escaped prisoner yeah, i think and, and they and they end up they end up kind of finding out that angosha's um kind of got separate facilities like almost like a prison facility for mm. its Military veterans yeah, who they, they in the war. Yeah, they create super soldiers. And in that, and then they couldn't reintegrate <coughs> them to society, so just stuck them in a and, prison. And at the uh, end of that yeah, episode, at the end yeah. of that episode, Picard decides to let things just play out. And I'm not sure about that because because the, they did get involved. They did get involved in something, and then just let it run its course. Whereas I, I'm not sure whether that was the right thing to do because you know, we've had this argument on we have. podcast before I can't remember which episode but we yeah. actually I, I fully I felt that Picard was complete justified in his actions there I, 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 I do I do know what you mean I just I just think that the, they did get themselves involved as soon as they agreed to help capture the vessel mm. so they they became a part of a, a sequence of events 
that led to something. Yeah. And and if it, if it, I mean, I I don't think they did a very good job vetting the Angosha. They they did a poor job vetting them because I don't they, I don't yeah. think Angoshans hid those facilities. It's just something that perhaps I don't know how. I mean, I don't know. We don't get into that in the episode. But yeah. I, I do I do feel that that was that was an incident where they arrived at a planet and they let and something happened and they let it play out rather than mm. assist and and re- restore the status quo. Whether yeah. restoring the status quo was the right thing to do, I don't know. I mean, is it, I, is it up to them to restore? I, I don't know because they got they got involved. They got involved before Angosha was part of the Federation. But they got they were they were pulled into it though, weren't they? True, but they didn't have to. They didn't have to help capture that vessel. They could have said, well. This is an internal matter. Mm. I mean, I, I, I don't think that... I don't really think that they did the wrong thing. I just think that they, they did get involved in something. They did, inter- they did sort of interfere, and they left it mm. interfered with. But they were they interfered at request of the government. Yeah. Um, and I understand your point that the government... that They continued to request help, and Picard then basically hid behind the Prime Directive and say, it's your problem, you go sort it out. Yeah. But I think... There's levels of understanding of the problem. Yeah. They respond to the one request thinking it was relatively straightforward. By the end of it, by the, when they understood, they said, this really is your problem to sort out and you can't rely on us. So, but as I, I know we've had this debate before. We, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> anyway, back to, sorry, back to 30 days. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so this is an episode where Paris is a little bit of a liability. Uh and he is, I think it's a good episode actually I really mm. like it he's in the brig and he mm. the whole episode is framed by he's he's putting together a letter to his father to explain why he's in the brig and why he's been demoted to ensign Lieutenant Thomas Eugene Paris I hereby reduce you to the rank of ensign and I sentence you to 30 days solitary confinement take ensign Paris to the brig another way and then you come across uh, a really interesting planet, which is like it's like a water planet, an ocean planet, and it turns out that this society is uh, they're sort of destroying their own planet. By yeah, well, they were they were, they were nomads, the weren't they? They were they're were sort of nomadic, and then they found they found the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the ocean is the ocean is originally. It's, it's, it's very old, isn't it? It's, it's hundreds of thousands yeah, of years there's, old. There's some sort of ancient technology that they find deep, deep in the ocean that they only the Delta Flyer can get down to. Um, that is, I don't know, it seems to have been sort of controlling. Yeah. Um, keeping the ocean planet together, basically. Yeah, and they, the, the, at the moment they arrived to, to this world, they, they, they meet the Manaeans, and the Manaeans saying... They eventually reveal that they're having some trouble with with the, with their planet, with the with containment, with containment of the of the ocean. Yeah. And they go down, and they eventually realise that the Manaeans, the Manaeans' presence there, they um, they have some sort of is it like a mining, like a mining sort yeah, of facility? Yeah, they mining. Do they mine oxygen? Mining oxygen from, from the, the water. Yeah. And that's putting too much stress on the original. Um, Machinery that maintains the, the kind of, the constitution of the world. Yeah, yeah. And then, basically, they, they they come up with some solutions for how they can get around this, but becomes apparent that that 
the, the government of that society isn't really going to do anything about it. Yeah, there's a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. So uh, Paris takes it on himself to team up with this scientist guy, and they're just going to go and blow up all the mining facilities. So he's he's basically going to do like a direct attack uh, on on the sort of yeah on the the mining facilities of this mm. this species, and and Janeway's willing to fire on him and potentially kill him if she has to to stop him and then he yeah he gets caught and, and demoted I guess the, the prime directive this isn't a pre-warp civilization I suppose so the, the prime yeah. directive doesn't apply directly but the spirit of the prime directive of non-interference does apply and it also it feels like a prime directive mm. episode because it's a very much we're not sure whether we should be with Paris or not like it's there's no easy answers here should well, that culture's made a decision. Or... Yeah, they're they're interfering at a yeah, point yeah. when the culture has said they don't want help. Members yeah, of yeah. that of that species can't take that action without the use of the Federation technology. Paris is willing to hijack and yeah. supply to them. So I think in in terms of that, he's gone against the wishes of the culture, and he's performing actions that could not be performed without Federation technology. Yeah, absolutely, that's a violation. Yeah. But, but I, I but, like but that there's a violation as a consequence. Yeah, yes. yeah, actually. I, I, because it I would like be that. very easy to have Janeway routinely uh, violate the Prime Directive and because of being in the doubt question, there's no consequence. So it's a nice way, it, it's good in this case, that someone else does it and Janeway then has to bring about the consequence. Yeah. And the whole episode is framed around, around that consequence, basically, yeah. and then explaining how it is that Paris got into that situation yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I think it's a really good episode actually mm. I, I like it a lot also the ocean planet just looks really cool it's yes. a it's, actually. Yeah. yeah it's totally different from uh, most planets we encounter on Star Trek so mm. it's, it's got that going for it it's, yeah it's, it's, it's a really interesting episode and it's you know yeah it's good to see the prime the, the, the spirit of the of the law of the prime directive is uh, is is sort of upheld in mm. Paris's punishment here. Yeah. Okay. Has um anyone got any other thoughts on violations of the Prime Directive? I guess in um in Into Darkness, the Calvinverse film. Mm, yeah. At the beginning of that, they interfere, don't they? They absolutely interfere. Yeah. yeah that's, sorry, that's a good one. I can't believe I didn't put that in my notes. Um, Kirk takes it upon himself to save the um. Well, it's the planet Nibiru. I don't know what you call the natives, Nibirans or something like that. But yeah, they both by taking them out of the danger zone of an erupting volcano and by having Spock detonate a device that will freeze the volcano, um, and then he exposes the Enterprise to them, so they then <laughs> yeah. begin to worship it as a god or something like that. I guess the in, the intention was to remain is mm. was to do it without being to, discovered. Yeah, intervene without. Much, much like the the pilot of um, the, the very first episode of Discovery, we mm. see the f- that that's what they're doing there, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're interfering, but that they are doing it kind of in secret. Mm. So I guess that wasn't. That's kind of again, why is why is that not addressed as a violation? Because mm. yeah, yeah. So they just don't get caught in that so scenario. That, so they? that's it. If you, if you don't get caught, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, because they what are they doing? They're br- they're bringing back the the 
like the water yeah. to that mm. planet the, the wells have all dried up and they find a way to bring that had there been some sort of something had happened in that planetary system right that something had mm. happened in that system yeah in, some ecological thing yeah, yeah something some sciencey thing well i think the, yeah. like the thrust of something like say homeward shows us that if you strictly follow the law like the primary, an ecological disaster that results in an extinction event <laughs> yeah just let that happen. Yeah, and the same with pen pals. They mm. that that's the same scenario until uh, until a, 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 a cute little girl says, "Oh, help yeah. me, please!" And then that's a different yeah. story. Yeah, <laughs> ecological <laughs> events leave and be. It's fine. Computers yeah. that span kissing. Oh my god! Get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think it'd be worth to give it giving an honorary mention to um, oh, I can't remember what, what the name of the episode is but it's it's another great episode of Voyager where Voyager is caught in the top end of an atmosphere of a planet where time is running oh, at a different rate yeah. but they, they it's not their fault they accidentally mm. um, cause a prime directive problem yeah, and a, a society is it I, it's not Eye of the Beholder is it no no um, it's not timeless, is it? No, timeless um, is, is the that... one where they crash and ice and you see old animals. Yeah. Um, but they, they, what happens is that Voyager's stuck in the atmosphere of this planet. They basically and, and shape an entire culture. They do. Like, because of the sped up evolution of that planet, in a matter of days, they go through you know, aeons of uh, yeah. development. And Voyager becomes a sort of, goes from being a sort of a religious symbol. Uh, it, it shapes all of their stories and yeah. their their religion, and then eventually they get the technology to go up and and mm. visit Voyager. Um, but it's 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 not Janeway's fault that they're in no. breach of the Prime Directive. It's there, it's an accident. accident. Yeah. Blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. Ah, uh, that's it. But it's it's a really good episode. It's mm. a really cool idea, um, and it's a great example of. Um, the repercussions of ignoring the prime directive not that they they don't intentionally ignore the prime directive but it just goes to show what a that that feels like that could be how like we were talking about in into darkness when they the that primitive species see the enterprise mm. and we see them drawing in the sand yeah. don't we the shape yeah. of the enterprise that feels like that's a similar idea to that mm. voyager episode actually yeah. what what an impact that that could have I guess I guess with the Prime Directive what we've from the episodes we discussed it seems like there are a variety of scenarios there's ones where a society is immediately at peril it, if you don't do something it will be destroyed yeah um, and then there are other ones where the society's not something's affecting it that if you change it you it might it might thrive it, it, it seems to be stuck or it's being oppressed for some reason that's or it's not, doing something that you don't... You don't yeah, or well, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think... I think it, with with situations where you... where you, you have the chance to save a people, it, it must be very difficult. And I would, I would hate to be part of anything where you just... you leave... you abandon... A, you abandon someone or a mm. group of people just because the rules say you should. I think we get to many situations where what's correct for the prime directive may not feel what's morally correct. Mm. Yes. I think that's, yeah. that what makes, that's what makes for the interesting storytelling is yeah. having the characters weigh that up. Um, 
And then actually, when we refer back to that discovery episode, it's kind of almost a missed opportunity that they didn't have a little bit more consideration around the actions they take. Yeah. Um, they they could the outcome could have still been the same, but I think it we could have swallowed it a lot better if they'd have seriously debated. Mm. Oh, I want to see some the, serious agonising over it. I want to see. Yeah. They want to see the crew debate it in impassioned arguments, preferably with snacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> so, okay. um, um, well, I, th- I think unless anyone's got anything else, we can wrap up our our uh, view of uh, breaking the Prime Directive. Certainly, because we have a part two to get onto. We do well, indeed, which is rigidly adhering to the Prime Directive. In d- it, it is really so. rigidly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah. So this is just this too many times. So this is the end of part one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank, thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you join us again for part two, where we'll be discussing, um, as Will said, rigidly. Keep staying rigid. I don't know why I said that, <laughs> but I said it. I can't unsay yeah. it unless you, I edit. You, you repeatedly now. said rigidly. In fact. Yeah. Because, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Do you realise how incredible this is? It's tradition. You ever noticed her bum? What? Her bum. Oh, no. I will say. I will say. Fewer things. Fewer things. Enough of this self-indulgence. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, our website is www.loweredexradio.co.uk. You can reach us on the Twitters at at 10 backward, 10 being the number and backward being the word backward. We're also on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash 10 backward podcast. You can also email us at crew at loweredexradio.co.uk. On a personal, individual level, my Twitter is at Will Turland. Rick Everson's Twitter is at TrekFanRick. And Rick Palmer's Twitter is at Mr. Imhotep. Hi, thank you again for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you might consider supporting us. We have now have a Patreon uh, where people can uh, pledge small amounts to fund our ongoing projects like uh, keeping our website up to date, uh, um, new audio equipment as we're going along and potentially uh, opportunities to expand our content uh, you can go look at this at patreon.com forward slash radio uh, if you don't feel you can donate but would still like to support us we would love if you could subscribe to us or however get your podcast through iTunes, Stitcher Google Play or we're on various third party apps and if you could leave us a review on any of those that would be fantastic and would be very appreciative Thanks again for listening, and please tune in for more podcasts from the 10 Backward Crew. Laddie, don't you think you should rephrase that? 10 Backward. 10 Backward. Ah, well, now we're all a little less secure in our moral certitude.